Hey guys, welcome to another great episode of Get Out of Your Own Way Now. I'm your host, Bob McIntosh, and today I have Liz Germain on with me. And Liz is a YouTube rock star. Um, I'm going to let her tell more about where she's been and why she's done it and, and where she's gone with that. Um, but she's someone that uh, I look up to to learn YouTube from. Many of you guys have probably seen me more and more on YouTube recently. A lot of that is due to her and the teaching that she's been training me on because I honestly knew very, very little about YouTube most basic stuff ever. But what I've been realizing is, as I've been watching some of her training, is she's really, really good at helping you understand how YouTube works. But not just that, as the show uh, denotes, she's gotten out of her own way. She's had a lot of success. She's built at least two channels that I know of to hundreds of thousands of subscribers, um, probably more to be honest. Um, but I'm going to let her, I'm not going to steal her thunder anymore and let her introduce herself. So Liz, thank you for being on the show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. What a great intro. <laughs> um, yeah, so my name is Liz and I help people grow and monetize YouTube, specifically coaches, entrepreneurs, online business owners, or anyone who's looking to use YouTube for marketing purposes. Um, essentially, if you didn't know this, YouTube is a blue ocean, pretty much. Only 9% of small businesses are using YouTube in their marketing strategy. And I believe part of that has to do with the fact that video can be intimidating, especially if you're new to video. Um, I think also people have a, a very big misunderstanding of what YouTube is and who it's for. A lot of times, you know, even back 10 years ago, when I would think about YouTube, I would think about this, the traditional YouTubers, right? Like people that are more in the right. influencer realm, people that are, have millions of subscribers and, you know, they're making all this money, but it feels really out of reach for the average person or the average business owner. Um, so over the last seven years, actually, I have really sharpened and fine-tuned my skills in digital marketing um, through my first company, which was a health and fitness company for women. And I kind of fell into the YouTube world by accident when after five years of selling digital Sometimes products- Sometimes that's the best way when it's yeah, accidental. I mean, it was God's plan, let's just put it that way. <laughs> so we sold digital fitness and meal plan products. We also had a membership site um, and we were doing you know, a good handful of brand deals and sponsorships for content marketing. And um, did that business for about five years. And then my business partner got married and decided to start a new business with her new partner. Um, so that was an interesting transition. And in that transition, I went back and looked at a whole company audit for the last, the prior five years, where's our highest ROI coming from? Cause I just lost half the leadership team. So I was like, okay, we've well, got to work smarter, not harder. I'm never going to be able to replace her. She knew everything about the business and she was really good on camera and all the things. So like, if I'm going to carry this forward on my own, I need to be really smart about where I spend my time. And so looking at all of the different platforms from Facebook to Instagram, YouTube, Pinterest, all the things. This was, this was pre TikTok. So we didn't have TikTok back then. Um, I discovered that Pinterest and YouTube were the top revenue driving sources and they were also the top traffic driving sources. And that, that was really interesting to me because I never really, we didn't really spend a whole lot of time. Like we didn't really try to create content for those platforms. We did every once in a while, but it wasn't the main focus. We were really focused on Facebook, Facebook ads, and Instagram content um, back then. And so what I realized was like, what, what makes these two platforms so different? Like, why is it that we are not working very hard on them, but they're creating such a great return? Um, and I discovered that that's because they're search engines. So <laughs> there's a huge difference between social media and search engines. YouTube is a search engine. It's actually the second largest search engine in the world and it's owned by Google, which is the first. And so the way that the platforms work, Pinterest also is a search engine, um, is that you put the content up once and as long as people are able to search and discover your content using keywords that they're typing into the search bar, then it can be discovered in you know, 24 seven, 365 in an evergreen way, which is very different than how social media works in a timeline based structure. So, and we, we're just chatting about this. It's like Facebook and Instagram, I call them the slot machine apps because number one, they're designed to be very addictive. Number two, people are going to those platforms to essentially kill time or to connect with other people, right? Like you're, they're not on there looking for answers to problems or challenges that are keeping them up at night on right. Facebook or Instagram, right? They're there to, to be social, to have conversations with other people, to share memories, to you know, post about what's actually happening on the day to day. And because of that timeline feature, that means that you really don't, like once you make a post on those platforms, you have about 24, maybe 48 hours before 
it starts to go down into the archives and it's not a search platform. So it's very hard to, and I, I'm sure we've all had this experience, even sometimes in my Facebook groups, I'll go in and I'm trying to find a post and it's very challenging sometimes to find the post right. because- And even when you made the post, like you know the content's there, you're like, exactly. I know I posted this and I still can't find it. <laughs> exactly, I know exactly what to look for and where did it go, especially the older and older as those posts get. Now, YouTube is very different from that because of its search engine capabilities people can find you or type in questions problems challenges that they're having in their day-to-day -day life and that's what we go to google for that's what we go to youtube for if you've ever had a flat tire and you didn't know how to change a flat tire where's the first place you're going to go you're stranded out in the middle of the road you got your phone and that's it you're going to go to google you're going to go to youtube and you're going to watch a tutorial right so um the user intent as well as the functionality of the platform is very, very different, which means that from a marketing perspective, you can essentially create one video that becomes a, an asset for you. I like to think of it as like real estate, right? Like each video that you put up there, if you put intention behind it, and if you made it something that is searchable and discoverable, it becomes like owning a little piece of internet real estate, right? Like it's like you have each little video is like a, is it like a house? Staking my claim. Right, exactly. <laughs> like, let me put my, let me put my, um, my flag in the ground here. So that's kind of the big difference between social media and search engine platforms. And, you know, I've been a, a digital marketing nerd now for the last almost decade. And I'm just obsessed with it. Everything about YouTube is so By cool. By the way, I'll I think we're totally going to like label that like, you know, Liz Germain, digital marketing nerd. Like that's going to be the, the title of the episode. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So everything about YouTube is just so cool. I'll never forget the first time I got to go to the YouTube space in Los Angeles. There's actually three YouTube spaces in the world. Um, one's in Tokyo, one's in LA, and one is in New York. And they're basically, if you're not familiar, they're these like huge production studios. They have like 12 different stages. They have tons of props. Like it's a full on movie production scene at the YouTube space. They have all any type of equipment that you could ever imagine from 4K all the way up to, you know, $100,000 camera equipment. And it's all there to, for YouTube creators to use completely for free. And I'll never forget the first time I walked in there. I was like, wow, this place is magical. They had free unlimited coffee bar. They had a fire pole going from the second story down to the first. And then there's like YouTube celebrities and actual like Hollywood celebrities coming in and out of there all day long. Cause you know, companies, production companies um, and networks like Disney channel and um, just all sorts of different TV shows and stuff are filmed in these spaces. Cause they're so nice. And I'll never forget when I walked in, I was like, man, I don't know what these people are, are <laughs> all about, but I'm in, <laughs> like, this is awesome. So yeah, nice. over the last couple of years, I've completely transitioned to, um, you know, my first business was all, I would say 90% automated. Uh, we created content and then we linked it all up to these digital programs. Everything was sold by email automation, except for once or twice a year, we would do a, like a group challenge. Um, and so in that transition, when my partner left that whole next year, I kind of just took the year off because I didn't really know what to do. Um, and, you know, had all this money coming in from YouTube and people in our membership site and all that. And throughout that year, I was just traveling a lot. And a bunch of people asked me, how are you doing what you're doing? And I'm like, well, YouTube, <laughs> you know, and they're like, well, like, obviously, you? come on now. <laughs> like, well, YouTube's pretty cool. And they're like, well, how do you monetize YouTube? So I got that question probably two or three dozen times during that year transition. I was like, wow, okay, I'm listening. Like there's clearly a market need for this. Like if people knew what was possible on this platform, I truly believe more people would have lifestyle freedom, time freedom, location freedom, and be able to actually provide an impact in the world in the way that, you know, they've been destined or designed to do, to share their passions, to be a leader, to help impact change, not just in your local area or even the national area, but YouTube allows you to reach a global audience. So, you know, that's kind of my my cliff notes story of how I got into the YouTube world. And at this point we, we work with service-based and heart-centered business owners, entrepreneurs, coaches, basically anyone who is doing some really cool thing in the world that wants to reach a broader audience and be able to pull in the right types of targeted leads to their marketing and sales funnels. Makes sense. Okay. So I have a bunch of questions. Let's start here. So you get to this YouTube creator space. Well, first of all, so the, just to make sure everyone understands, the creator space is not like, like if you're just like a brand new YouTuber, you're not going to roll in and be able to use this for free. Right. Or it's like, you have to be a certain level. Well, they do have, so first of all, it's in, like I said, LA or New York, if you're in the States. Um, and 
they do host a lot of free workshops for anyone who is interested in creating YouTube content. Um, cool. To actually go in and use the production facilities, you do need to have over 10,000 subscribers. Um, and then you have certain restrictions if you're at that 10K level. And then once you pass 100K, you have no restrictions. You can go in there anytime. They have full on edit base, sound studios, all 12 different um, state, I think it's 12. There's a bunch, all different stages, all different camera equipment, et cetera. But yeah, to unlock that, you, all you have to do is do a quick training. They'll do like an orientation and you have to have over 10K subscribers to actually go film there. Okay, perfect. Yeah, I, I, was, I was like, I can't imagine like, you know, Joey with four subscribers is rolling into the YouTube studio <laughs> going, hey, what's up? I'm using the use your $100,000 camera here. Don't mind yeah. me. <laughs> it's definitely an earned privilege, but YouTube does host a lot of um, trainings and workshops and stuff there for anyone who's in the LA area. That's, that's awesome. So guys, if you're in that area, definitely check it out. Okay, so you get to this space, like, what are you thinking? So when we think about, you know, getting out of our own way, was it like terrifying? Were you excited? Both like, walk me through what you were going, what was going through your head? When I went to the YouTube space? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely intimidating, for sure. Especially because the reason that I was there in the beginning was because um, I applied for and won something called the Next Stop Contest. And I don't think they do this anymore. But um, the next up contest was basically a way for YouTube to invest in and support up and coming creators. So um, I applied when I found out about it and I was like, oh, this sounds awesome. Applied one that I was in a group of like maybe eight other creators. Um, and so of course it's intimidating. I was the smallest channel that was in there at the time. I think we had like maybe 20, 30,000 subscribers. Um, and everybody else was approaching that hundred K mark <laughs> that was in the group. <laughs> Um, so yeah, that was definitely intimidating, but it was also super cool. Like I felt like I found my people. I was like, wow, you guys get it. Like you understand what it's like to really be passionate about video creation, storytelling, making an impact and sharing your gifts with the world. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's for sure. I think the most intimidating part for me personally was the, just the tech crew. We had audio video lighting specialists come in and these are people that are working on like Hollywood level movie productions. And, you know, this is like their full-time career. And so, and it can get really technical in the video realm. Right? It can get very complicated, very technical, very fast. And I think the most intimidating part for me was going through the camera, audio and lighting workshops, because in my mind, I didn't know what the exposure triangle was back then. I was just like, here, put the camera on and hit record, you know? <laughs> and so what we, we did all these trainings for how to make video production quality better and had these, you know, super pro people come in and, and support us and teach us like, here's how to use your camera. Here's how to make it more interesting. Um, here's how to increase the production quality of what you're, what you're filming. And, you know, it was definitely a, an uphill climb, but I made it through. And, you know, I think that's like, it's always so funny because everybody has that in the beginning. It's like, well, I don't know how to use my camera. What is ISO? I have no idea. And it's like, well, yeah. <laughs> I still don't have any idea. It's a skill. It's a skill. And any skill can be trained and can be learned. But that was definitely intimidating for me in the beginning because I'm like, wow, I'm in the room with all these, you know, nearly 100K YouTube people and they all know this stuff already. And I just feel like an idiot over here. Cause I'm like, just hit record with what else? Why do I need to know aperture? Like, what does that mean? You know? So I think, yeah, overall it was very exciting though. Even with the nerves. I can imagine. I can imagine. So if someone's listening or wa watching this right now and they're just getting started, you know, should they, even if it's not necessarily at YouTube, but you know, maybe going to YouTube to learn or, or just Googling, hey, this stuff, do you think that's important or is it just more important to get content created and get it out there and then improve it as you go? Well, here's the thing about videos. It takes, this is kind of a chicken or egg type of question. It takes a long time to create video um, from the actual production of it to the post-production and like editing and all of that to creating the thumbnails for the content or whatever. It takes, a, it's a significant time investment. So if you're going to be investing the time, why not make sure that you're giving yourself the max possibility and max potential for success with that? Um, I see a lot of people that just are like, well, I'll figure out the details later and let me just like post this up now just to put content up. But that's part of the problem, right? It's like, all right, it's not so much a, a quantity conversation. It's more of a quality conversation at this point in the game. There are so many distractions out there and so many people are going online, posting content every day, you know, just putting stuff up just to put stuff up. And it contributes to this 
culture of noise and distraction that we've got going on. So I personally am not of the belief that, oh, let me just post it just to get something up there. Because somebody told me once five years ago that I need to be visible and I need to be active and I need to be engaging people and this and that. I'm not really a big fan of that because it's like, well, yeah, but not at the expense of your, your viewers, your users, not at the expense of actually providing valuable qualitative information. So I'm a big fan of putting some effort into the planning process first before you ever hit record. Because if you're going to spend the time, you might as well spend the time moving in the best possible direction, wouldn't you say? I would fully agree. And, and by the way, so if you are thinking, if you're watching this and you're thinking about starting YouTube, something I want to point out that's really important. And I, this is where I've I've been spent probably the last two, three weeks um, for both myself and several of my clients that I'm helping with some video uh, pieces as well is that planning. And so I'm going to ask you to talk a little bit about that, but think about this guys. So, you know, like Liz said, it's a search engine. YouTube's a search engine. So we have to understand what are people searching for before we can ever create content. So just like you said, you can just create content just to have content. Um, and that might work great for Facebook or Instagram or places like that, where it's more of just disruptive and you're looking for whatever to distract you. But when it comes to YouTube, I think like Liz was just saying, it's important to understand what are people looking for? Why are they looking for it? And give them exactly what they need. Because if you do, you're going to win, win the, the, the prize, I guess you call it, which is traffic to, to your, your website, your business or whatever. Um, so if, if people are thinking about um, researching, where, where should they go? Like, which is, I know that it's a, this is probably a super deep question, just based on the video training I went through, which is like, I don't know, like two hours long of just planning for this, but like bullet points, high level, what should people be thinking about or looking for and where should they be going to do that? Yeah, so this is a great question. Before I dive into the response to that, I wanted to share, like a lot of people will see, you know, let's take Peter McKinnon, for example. <clears throat> he has literally millions of subscribers at this point. But even Peter McKinnon, who, if you're not familiar with Peter McKinnon, he's like one of the top photographers and videographers in the world. He's very sought after, very good at his craft, just absolutely super talented, super engaging, super educational and entertaining all at the same time, right? Even Peter McKinnon, somebody who is at that level of success, way back in the day, he started and started gaining traction with help content, with searchable content. If you go back and look at some of his oldest videos, they're how-tos and tutorials on how to edit photos, how to you know, set up your camera in an outdoor setting, how to make your, the colors in your images pop, how to use Lightroom. There's tons of different tutorials that he has on his channel, especially the, older, the further back you go. And so it can be very um, deceiving to look at somebody who's, who has millions and millions of subscribers and be like, well, but they didn't do that. They didn't need to do that. They, now they just do vlogs or whatever. But like, I really encourage you to go back and do some digging because the way they got there <laughs> that they're making. It's so important. Yes. Yeah. You know, um, one of the interesting, one of the interesting things when you say that uh, I always think about is uh, Marie Forleo. Um, she's someone that I follow. I think she does a lot of great video content and I think she's, you know, very smart in what she's done, but it's funny cause she leaves her old videos up on YouTube. And if you scroll back all the way to like the very early days of her stuff, it's hilarious to look at. Cause it's like her sitting on a couch and you, you can clearly tell she's got no idea how to do any of this stuff. She was just, you know, going, but what I think was important is that she was creating content. Like you said, that was like the how to, this is what we're doing. This is how you do it. And so even though the production may not have been there at the time, and you know, also that was, I mean, shoot, that was probably like 10 years ago or more at this point in time. Um, you know, it, I think that that's important is just understanding, hey, like when, when you're looking at someone, where do they start? Because most of you, most of you listening to this right now are probably just starting along your path. So modeling and mirroring someone who's already got millions of followers, is not going to necessarily help you look at what they did to start because that's where you need to go. Exactly. Yeah. So when it comes to, you know, Okay, well, I got it. I understand YouTube's a search engine. I understand I need to figure out which keywords to target. What are people actually searching for? The phrase I always use is if you want to drink water, go to the well. Like we, you shouldn't be hitting record until you know what people are looking for. Because um, your job as a content creator and especially as a marketer is to fill the gaps where there's a lot of search traffic, but there's not really good quality information. So within your particular industry or your particular niche, just getting really clear on what are the top 10 to 20 frequently asked questions that I get from my clients or from my prospects. Um, Cause YouTube not only is good at searchability and discoverability when you're targeting things like that, it's also good at helping you automate your marketing and sales process. So if there's anything that you're repeating over and over for prospects, questions that come up all the time, make a video about it, post that, embed that video onto your blog or website, 
And before people ever end up on a sales call or end up, you know, in your program, they'll already know, like, and trust you better. Video converts having, okay, here's a quick stat. This is a fun fact for you. Um, as of the beginning of this year, 2020, having video, even just one video on a landing page, on a sales page, increased conversions on average about 80%. So, I mean, that's Whoa. math. <laughs> so, that's, that's insane. Even if you don't have, like just focus on YouTube, just know that the power of video to be a tool for automation and also a tool to help you build relationships with people, even while you, you might be having dinner with your family, you might be, you know, on a vacation or whatever, but your video is still there. You're still able to educate people in a way that is not time bound, right? So think about all of the top 10 to 20 frequently asked questions you get or things that come up over and over in your sales process. What are the objections that people have with working with you? Um, make content that addresses those things specifically and provides a lot of value before you ever even make a sales call, before you ever make an, an offer, before you ask for something from the person on the other side. So leading with value first is really, really important. And then when it comes to actually figuring out, okay, well, beyond like the top 10 to 20 questions that I want, you know, to start automating for my own, my own time freedom and also <laughs> to increase my conversions. Beyond that, how do I find these keyword terms? If you're not familiar with the keyword, that's literally just the words that somebody types in to the YouTube search bar or Google search bar. And Google and YouTube's only job is to provide an incredible user experience for whoever's searching for things. So they are really focused, their algorithms are all focused on providing the best possible answer to whatever the person typed in, right? So, because that's why people come back. That's how they've grown to such behemoth success is because right. they're the best search engines out there, right? And, and um, think about, I want you guys to think about this because this is what she said just said is really important. So if you, if you look at YouTube, which is owned by Google, um, so both platforms, the, the majority of the revenue, like the majority of it comes from ads, right? Whether it be ads on YouTube or ads on Google, that's there. But here's the thing, if it's a search engine and you do a search and you never find what you're looking for, are you gonna come back? No, you're never gonna come back. You're gonna say, I'm gonna go someplace else, which means that like was the saying, their job is to provide the best possible results in both YouTube and Google, right? And by doing that, they're looking at what you're doing there. And so understanding what are people looking for and then providing the value, like she was saying, I think that's super critical. So I want to make sure to highlight that because I want everyone to start doing that if you're not right now. Yeah. So with YouTube specifically, when it comes to identifying, you know, how does the YouTube algorithm serve up one video over another video? The YouTube algorithm is analyzing over 80 million data points per user for Dang. each decision of which video to display in suggested videos, like which video you should watch next, which video to display in the sidebar, which videos to display on the homepage, et cetera. So this algorithm is beyond, <laughs> beyond brilliant. It's absolutely just one of the most beautiful creations in my opinion. I'm a, I'm a huge nerd. Again, quick disclaimer. Perfect. But in my, in my opinion- Me too, so I, I totally get you. I'm with you, I love it. It's one of the most fascinating things that a human, a human group of people has ever created, right? So how do you tip the odds in your favor to help encourage the YouTube algorithm to push your content in front of these, these users, these people that are searching for things that you may be an expert in? Um, there's really two things, and then I'll get into some of the more technical details around how to pick keywords, what to look for, et cetera. There's really two things that the YouTube algorithm in general is looking for. Number one, your watch time. Watch time is the most important metric on the YouTube platform because as you said, YouTube's a business. They make their revenue through selling ad space to advertisers. So in order to be able to do that, they need users on the platform. And the longer that users are on the platform, that's a direct indication of how long they're watching your videos, right? So if you're a channel that has really high audience retention and your watch time stats are really good, YouTube's algorithm will pick up on that because they know that your content is keeping people on the YouTube platform and that's how they make money. This so is gonna reward you for that. Exactly. This is YouTube has actually publicly admitted that total watch time on the platform is, is what their algorithm is stacked to promote. Um, so your contribution to that is your video watch time, your channel watch time analytics, pay attention to your watch time because it's really, really important and adjust your strategy. If you notice like 
this is something that happens very frequently. If somebody like repurposes a podcast episode and just uploads it to YouTube because they're like, I just got to get content out. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, what we typically see with repurposed content like that stuff that wasn't specifically made for the YouTube community is that it actually decreases audience retention and therefore lowers your watch time. So be careful, make sure you're paying attention to, am I getting good watch time on the content that I'm putting out? And if not, adjust your strategy, test out a totally different type of content until you find your sweet spot, if you will, of videos that are driving good watch time for your channel. So that's the first thing. Second thing is just being consistent. Honestly, um, the best, most ideal on YouTube is to post once weekly. Um, I would say like, this is an unofficial stat, but at least 85%, maybe 90% of YouTubers across the whole world, right? People that I've been following for 10 years, um, they all very much markedly say that I have been posting a weekly video every single week for the last two years. And that is directly contributed to my YouTube growth. Because again, remember YouTube is a platform just like any other. If you're just willy nilly throwing content out, like maybe once a quarter or randomly or whatever, you're not giving people an incentive to subscribe, to come back, to know when you're going to be posting new content. So um, if you're really looking to grow subscribers, especially give people a reason to come back, be active on the platform and let them know, Hey, I post new videos at this time on this day, every single week, don't miss an episode, make sure you subscribe to stick around. So, um, those are two things that you should definitely be prioritizing. And I know some people hear, Oh, I got to post a weekly video. Oh my God, that's so much work, but not really if you're batch filming. So you can film like four or five videos at a time you know, once a month and have the whole next month's worth of content done and ready to go. Especially that's so huge. So it's one of the yeah. things that I do too. It's actually where, where I am right now. We're going to be shooting probably eight to 10 or more videos while we're here in different locations. Um, just so I have, cause I have, I'm at a place where I have great locations. So I'm like, boom, let's get as much in as we possibly can. Yeah. And especially once you learn to outsource your editing, which if you need support with that, with that we help people figure out how to outsource editing in an affordable way. I've been through, you know, probably half a dozen video editors in the United States over the last 10 years almost. <laughs> and man, they can be really expensive. Um, so yeah, I highly recommend outsourcing that overseas. It's one of the things where you can find an incredible video editor in the Philippines that is a third or a fourth of the cost of what it would be for someone in the States to do it. Um, but yeah, batch filming will really help be a lifesaver in that way. So that's kind of the, a broad overview of what to pay attention to. And I would love to share, if I can, um, a couple little tips and some free tools and, and things like that to help support people uh, in learning keywords. And you're already familiar with these. Key yes. These hey, before you, before you dive in those, I want you to talk about that 100%, but I have a question. So when we talk about watch time, one of the things I know a lot of, um, I'm seeing a lot more people do is like myself, is creating sort of video shows similar to this or in other, any other context. So would you say it's better because of, because of understanding how important watch time is? Is it better for someone to create, you know, the content for their channel around that and separate a show, like a podcast or a video show like this, for example, to a different channel? Um, or would you upload it here, check the watch time, and if it's good, you keep it together? Or like, what's your thoughts about doing that? Because like you said, since watch time is so important, you don't necessarily want to kill it by just uploading content just because you have it. Yeah. Um, let me see if I understand your question. So you're basically asking, let's say you have a, a show or an interview series or podcast or something like this. Are you asking, is it better to upload still to YouTube? Well, so yeah. So let, let's say, okay, so I have my channel and this is a selfish question for me, but I think <laughs> it will apply to other people too. So I have my channel where I've got, you know, and guys, this is something that I'm sure she'll probably talk a little bit later, or if not, you'll find later, which is, you know, your three pieces of content, your hub, your hero, and your help. I've got all that going out there, right? Um, this is sort of a separate thing, although it's in the same vein of what I'm doing. Obviously, it features me. Um, so am I better to take shows like this and upload them to my main channel with all that other stuff and sort of intermix it? Or is it better to go separate? Because one of the things that you said earlier, and this is why I'm asking is, it's because watch time is so important when people, for example, take like podcasts or shows like that and they just upload it to have that content, it might actually hurt their watch time, which actually hurts their channel overall. So is it better to separate that stuff or keep it together? Yeah, that's a great question. I think in general, um, obviously testing things out on your own channel is the only way to get an accurate answer. But in general, best practice would be if it's the same brand or the same person creating content with the same intent, like it's not completely, a, let's say, you know, you have your channel, but then 
your podcast or some interviews you're doing are like about dog trainings, right? Like it's completely different topic, right. completely different intent. As long as it's within the same umbrella of what your channel is about, I think it's okay to put, keep, it's actually better to keep it under one hub um, or one, one channel than it would Makes be sense. to start dividing yourself up. Because again, you never know who is gonna find those videos. Somebody could end up stumbling across your channel for one issue and then see that you have this other content on there and be like, oh, you know, I'm bored. I wanna learn about this. Like, let me, let me keep watching this stuff. So you never really know who's gonna be finding your videos. But I guarantee you, like if you split your content up across channels, it's gonna be a lot harder for it to find or for people to find. Does that make sense? Very true. It does, 100%. And that's, that was my thought too, but I was, then you were talking about watch time and I was like, hmm, I wonder, like that was a question that I had. So, okay, perfect. Um, all right, so resources, tools, things like that. What you got? Okay, so when it comes to learning keywords, this is basically SEO, search engine optimization. How do we increase the likelihood that our videos will show up on first page rankings of YouTube and Google, by the way. Google is now promoting three YouTube videos in the first page search results um, for many, many different search terms. So how do, we, how do we get our videos on that prime real estate on the first page of these search results? It all comes down to quality and then the technicalities of keywords. So um, when you're first learning keywords, it can be very overwhelming. I remember the first time I was like, oh my God, what search volume? Oh my God, why are these numbers all so crazy and different, right? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> what am I even looking at? I felt like my brain was just gonna explode. It's actually a lot easier than you think. And there's three tools, three free tools that I recommend that everybody downloads. They're, they're Chrome, Google, Google Chrome extensions. Um, you use these, I use these literally daily, and they're the best ones out there for YouTube keyword research. So you ready? Let's do it. Um, TubeBuddy, T-U-B-E-B-U-D-D-Y, is my absolute favorite keyword plugin. Um, it will show you, you know, search data, search pool data, different types of, it'll give each keyword a ranking. By the way though, be a little bit uh, careful with the TubeBuddy rankings because they're not always like, sometimes you'll see one keyword is super, is ranked as poor and one is ranked as excellent. It doesn't mean that just because TubeBuddy ranked it as excellent that you're gonna get a million views for that video, right? right. So be careful with the rating system with that one. Um, the second one is VidIQ, V-I-D-I-Q. Um, that one can show you a lot of competitor data, tags on other people's videos, um, it'll show you uh, search velocity data. So like once somebody posts a video, how quickly did it acquire views, which tells you about market trends and tells you what people are really interested in. And overall just gives you another angle to look at from, from the keyword perspective. And then the last one is called Keywords Everywhere. And that's actually a multi-platform plugin that not only works on YouTube, but it also works on Google. It also works on Answer the Public. It also works on um, Amazon even, it works on a bunch of different sites. So those are kind of like YouTube, or excuse me, TubeBuddy and vidIQ are YouTube specific. And then Keywords Everywhere is just a general keyword research tool. Keywords Everywhere is the only one that's not free, but it is very, very cheap. I think it's like 10 bucks for every 100,000 credits. Very nice. So uh, if you are listening or watching in the show notes on our uh, on the, the site for this, we'll have all those linked up so you guys can go get those if you need to. Like she said, they're Chrome extensions. So you actually have to use the Chrome browser and then you just add these on um, when, when you're doing this stuff. So that is an important thing to note. It's not like an application that you put on your computer. It actually runs inside of Google Chrome. Yeah. And Google owns YouTube. So if you're getting into the YouTube world, you should be using Google anyway. Google Chrome, yeah. please. Listen, I, I, I just read a stat the other day. It's like 86% of uh, web use is Google Chrome right now. So, uh, which kind of blew my mind. Like I knew, I knew they were big, but not that big. Yeah, that's crazy. Especially because Safari is like the default on all the Mac computers. Like, <laughs> just right? dominating across. Well, the and, and on a Windows computer, it's, it's uh, whatever Edge now or something else like that. So it's like you have to specifically go out and look for that tool to use. Like you can't, it's not just like a default one, which is crazy. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, the more I learn about Google, the more I'm just like blown away. If you've ever used Google Tag Manager or anything like that, these tools are just absolutely incredible. It's no wonder they're, you know, taking over the world. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All right. So, okay. I think the, well, I mean, those are other tools or resources. I mean, those are all fantastic. By the way, guys, those are all ones that I use. Um, I learned about 
Uh, I think most of those from Liz. I think I might have known about two, buddy. I think I had a friend that like mentioned it, but I never wrote it down. So we'll we'll give you credit. <laughs> yeah, um, I would say beyond that, you need a process to actually understand how to interpret the data that you're looking at, even with these these plugin tools. Um, so basically there's a couple things you want to take into account when you're doing keyword research number one is what is the monthly search volume for for that particular term so let's use i always use the example of how to bake an apple pie right like let's say you wanted to create you know that your your target viewer is a stay-at-home mom and she's got like it's mother's day coming up or let's say fourth of july that's perfect for apple pie right and so you're or maybe you're a blogger or whatever and you want to reach this person you want to get more traffic so that you can sell a cookbook right um, so you go to YouTube and you do this research and you look at, you type in how to bake an apple pie, all of these keyword tools will populate a bunch of different, different search data. Um, <clears throat> one of those that's really important is the monthly search volume. So with monthly search volume, and by the way, side note, this is something I don't see any other YouTube coaches or experts or consultants or anything like that talking out about out there. These keyword tools, it's important to understand that they're aggregating third-party data because YouTube doesn't actually share its direct search stats with anybody. So what you'll, you might notice is that vidIQ is telling you one number and TubeBuddy is telling you a totally different number and keywords everywhere is telling you a completely different number, right? So if you notice discrepancies in the numbers, that's why. They're averaging data typically over the span of a 12-month time period and they're taking it from third-party data collectors. Okay, so Makes it's not sense. direct from YouTube. So if you ever, this is a question that comes up all the time. It's like, well, is this one said it had a thousand searches a month and this other one said it has 4,000 searches a month, which is it? You got to do your best guess. Okay. <laughs> I use TubeBuddy most reliably. Um, and then beyond that, keywords everywhere, like I said, it's looking at all internet search traffic, not just YouTube. Um, so just, and, and by the way, just to clarify, so that's YouTube traffic or YouTube keyword data specifically, but Google, cause I know Google shares their data for Google searches, but YouTube is different. Yes, correct. Um, Perfect. and I just verified this a couple months ago. I was at a, a Google hosted conference about, um, YouTube ads and I asked one of the top VPs of Google, I was like, Hey, um, can you let me know why these numbers are all different? <laughs> it's like, well, yeah, YouTube doesn't share any data with anyone, um, but Google does. So a lot of the third-party data that it's taking is based on the forward-facing, on YouTube specifically, it's like forward-facing stats that the whole public can see. Um, and then combining that with some of the Google search data that is public. So um, just something interesting to note there. So basically, Let's go back to our apple pie example. You type in how to bake an apple pie. These keyword tools are gonna to show you what the monthly search volume is. But keep in mind, again, if the numbers are different, that's okay. It's because it's taking it, this is like best guess information. They're based on averages. Makes sense. So um, let's say it has, you know, 100,000 searches a month. If you're a brand new channel, that may seem really cool. You're like, oh wow, I'm gonna get 100,000 views on this video. But the thing you also have to look at is the search pool. So how many videos already exist for that thing? A term like how to bake an apple pie is going to be very competitive because the internet has existed now since what, the beginning of the century. Um, and so we're- Whenever Al Gore created it, I forget whenever right. that was. <laughs> exactly. So that's a long time for a lot of other people to have already created really good content around that particular keyword. So make sure you're also looking at the number of videos and search results, which you can find specifically in the TubeBuddy plugin. Um, you have to click for, for the weighted results and it will show you, here's the number of, it, you, this used to be public info. YouTube used to just put it right at the top. Here's how many search results exist for this. I don't know why they got rid of that feature. It's actually kind of annoying, but now you have to dig for it in the TubeBuddy plugin. So it'll show you the number of videos that already exist in search results for that particular term. Just make sure you're not going after keyword terms that have you know, over, especially if you're brand new, over a hundred thousand um, videos that already exist for it. If you're a little bit bigger, maybe you have 20, 30 K subscribers and you're getting good engagement, um, you can increase that up to, you know, 200, 500,000 videos because you actually have a chance to compete with the other videos that are out there because you have the channel authority, you have the engagement, et cetera. So um, just something else to kind of consider. You definitely don't want to go after <laughs> keyword terms that have 6 million videos in search results because you are going to get buried. Um, so pay attention to the monthly search volume, pay attention to how many videos already exist for that. That's your competition. Um, and then also last but not least, you want to pay attention to how old are the videos that are ranking 
on the first page of search results when I go type in that, that term that I'm researching. If you're noticing that every single video that's on that first page ranking of YouTube search results is two years, four years, six years old, but they still have really good views, that's a potential opportunity. There's a big opportunity in creating new content. YouTube loves new content if it's high quality. So if something is outdated, it's two years, four years, five years old, and you're noticing a general trend with the videos that are showing up on those first page search results, there's an opportunity for you to step in and create a more modernized, better version of what's already ranking for it. Um, <clears throat> yeah, and then the last thing I would say is like, pay attention to how many views each video that's ranking is getting related to the number of subscribers that person has. So <clears throat> if you look at, <clears throat> excuse me, if you look at the top five to six videos on the first page of YouTube search results, and you're noticing a general pattern where these videos are getting 10, 20,000 views, but the channels only have a thousand subscribers. We know right away those 20,000 views did not come from those thousand people. Right. Um, be careful with this one because sometimes what can happen is people can run ads to their YouTube videos, which can skew the data and give it a false view read. Um, and you can tell using the vidIQ plugin, there's a little feature on that first page um, of YouTube search results that says enable inline keywords. It will populate at the top right corner of the YouTube search page, right? If you have a vidIQ plugin installed, it says enable inline keywords. From that place, you can see, are people doing an SEO approach? Are they using keywords for targeting organic traffic? Or do they not have any tags on their videos? And, or it's just like, you know, maybe two tags on the videos. If you're seeing a pattern of like, these videos don't actually have any tags on them, but they're getting massive views, that may be an indication that it was a paid ad that generated those views, okay? So you gotta be kind of careful with this stuff. It's definitely an art combined with the science. <laughs> but essentially you wanna look at, are the videos that are already ranking for this search term that I'm exploring getting tens of thousands of views or hundreds of thousands of views, but the channels themselves are small? Because again, that's if, if the internet is a conversation, the data are your ears, okay? So that's telling you there is a market need. People want to see this type of content, but this channel is really small. So they didn't just have influence, right? Like those views didn't just come because they put up a video and all of their videos get that much traffic, right? So just kind of some things to pay attention to. And then from there, you know, just going one by one, individual keyword research around the topics that are related to your target audience and what they're struggling with. So you can step in, provide the high quality answer for them and use the tech and the SEO of YouTube to actually get in front of an organic evergreen audience. That's perfect. So one more question. Um, when you look at older content, so it's kind of that's two, three, four years old and you say, Hey, I can do a newer version. If nothing's changed, like, let's say, especially if you have your own video. So I uploaded a video two years ago. Um, and whatever I talked about, it's still true today. Nothing's different. Nothing's changed. You know, it's just 2020 instead of 2018. Um, am I better just to change my title to say 2020 or am I better to make a whole new video, even if I'm saying the same thing that's, you know, more modern because it's now it's being uploaded recently. Yes, I would make, uh, as long as you don't have anything that, yeah, I would just make a new, I wouldn't make a new video. Yeah. Okay. That way people will identify that, okay, this person is giving updates, you know, it's more incentive to subscribe. One thing that I always notice at the beginning, at, starting in like November, December, um, <laughs> with search trends is that the next year there's a bunch of new traffic coming out for you know in 2020 and 2021 etc you'll see a, a lot of youtubers do that often too is you know throughout the year they'll say new strategy 2020 right right <laughs> um, the search traffic is not saturated yet um but the thing is if that's part of your your keyword strategy ideally you would be saying that out loud in the beginning of your video um, so it wouldn't really make, and the thing is the internet changes so fast and strategies and tactics and all of that technology, it changes so fast. So I wouldn't recommend just going back and optimizing for, you know, a 2018 video to say it's for 2020, because chances are that information is going to be outdated if it really was specific to the year that you're talking about. Makes um, sense. So yeah, I wouldn't necessarily recommend going back and optimizing for, or like changing 2015 to 2020, just to try to capitalize on those views. Um, I would rather see somebody create a better, newer video that actually is designed for 2020, if that makes sense. That totally does. Totally does. Okay. So last question, what advice would you give to everyone to get out of their own way, especially when it comes to YouTube and, and being successful on YouTube? Yeah. So this is a, I'll share my story on how 
I was able to do this, um, which maybe will be inspirational and maybe, you know, if you, Maybe it sucks, we'll just edit it out. I'm yeah, just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I remember back in the day when I first started my blog um, with my sister at the time, we were, we knew that we were passionate and we knew that we could help people and we knew that we had good information and we were having a lot of fun doing it. But for some reason, the, whenever the camera turned on, like you get those like weird camera jitters, right? It's like very different. And I, at this point, I was a fitness instructor teaching classes to like 50, 60 people at a time. So I had no issue being in front of people. But the thing is, for some reason, even when I'm alone in my room, the second that that record button goes on, it's like I would like lock up. I'd be speaking from the top of my chest, not like the taking a deep breath and like, oh, let me relax into this. Um, so number one is to recognize that that's completely normal. It's your body's reaction to potentially being judged, which actually I believe to my core that comes back to our, our core human needs to, to be loved and to be accepted. Um, so you're challenging that, right? You are putting yourself out there in a vulnerable way. And with that comes a risk of people judging you and people rejecting you. And so I think first identifying that that is what it, where it's actually coming from will help you to consciously move beyond that in your actual biology, right? So like recognizing, okay, it's totally normal. This is very human. My body's having a reaction to basically walking out on a ledge, right? Um, because at that point it's up to, it's up to the other people to socially accept you or not, you know, it's right. very risky, right? So first of all, acknowledge it. Second like, of all, drum roll, are they going to like me? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Second, um, notice that that's just a human body reaction. It has nothing to do with you. Okay. So the human body, even myself, like I've been doing videos now for like eight years, I still get a little bit like, and I have to like take a breath and actually drop into it before I can actually present on something and not seem like a chaotic psycho. Right. <laughs> so that's that number one, number two, um, back when we were first starting, I'll never forget. I had a friend at the time who did digital marketing. I didn't know anything about that world. I was a fitness instructor. I, like I had no idea what I knew people made money online, but I had no idea how the nuts and bolts of it worked. And I met this friend and he was consulting with my sister and I on, Hey, you do actually have something really, really good here. You guys could definitely make an income with this and you could help impact a lot of lives. And I'll never forget. He came over and we were having a conversation um, in the office and we're like, we're about to share it. He's like, what are the, what are the things that, why are you doing this? Like, why is this important to you? Tell me about that. And so we shared, you know, our dad had a lot of health issues growing up. I lost a friend to suicide. Like this is why health and fitness was so important to me. I never learned how to take care of myself as a kid. And so sharing those stories, he's like, that's what you need to, that's what you need to share. And that's the space that you need to come from. And I was like, share like the suicide of a close friend. Like that is, that's stretchy for me. Like that is <laughs> right. very personal. It's very vulnerable. Like that is, it's a lot. It's very stretchy. And he's like, that's what you need to share. And that's the space that you need to come from. Every time this fear comes up when you're coming from that space, it won't matter. You'll be able to just go right through it because you have a bigger why, a bigger purpose for what you're doing. And I was like, okay. And I look, I remember, I'll never forget. I looked at my sister and I was like, I was like, are we going to, I had this whole post written up and I was like, am I going to like, should I really post this? This is like really vulnerable, really like almost like not embarrassing, but you know what I mean? Like it was really, yeah. it was my, my business partner always says it's like airing your dirty laundry outside. You don't even yeah, like, see that, was, but that's what it feels like. Yeah, exactly. I mean, imagine if we were in the 1940s, like nobody would be talking about that stuff. You know, I'm like, <laughs> this is really a stretch. Right. And I looked at her and I was like, are we doing this? And she's like, yeah, I mean, what do we have to lose? And so because we had each other and because we had this friend and mentor basically give us permission to do it. I don't know if I would have been able to do that on my own, like just in my room alone, like, oh, I think I'm going to share the most vulnerable experience I've ever had in my human, in my human life. Here we go. Click by. Like, I actually, <laughs> think <there's> something, <laughs> I actually think there's like something to be said about the mindset of someone like that. You know, that's a whole nother situation. But in this particular scenario, recognizing number one, the biological reaction that my body was having to being to putting myself in a vulnerable place it's completely normal um, number two having a strong why and a strong purpose that enabled me to get out of my own way and then number three having support and a cheerleading squad of people who are like what do you have to lose 
go for it. Let's see what happens. Um, beyond that, I, I would love just, that mentality, by the way, what do you have to lose? Yeah. Like, just go for it. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And you're just right back where you started and that's it. And you go to lunch and you forget about it. Like in a week, <laughs> you know, like you're good. It's fine. You're not going to die, but your body thinks you're going to die, but you're not going to die. It's, it's okay. Like that. But did you die? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And then, yeah, I think just beyond that, um, recognizing that life is short and none of us are like speaking of, you're not going to die. Well, we all are going to die not to be morbid, but that's the reality of being a human being. And so time is short. You don't have time to put it off any longer. So if it's something that's been knocking on your door and it's a a desire or a passion that you have, or something you really want to explore doing, go for it. Like this is your permission slip, get out of your own way, recognize everything you're experiencing from the fear realm is completely normal. And there are people out there that have done it before you. And there are people out there who haven't started yet, but will, and will also succeed because they have a commitment and they have a strong why behind what they're doing. So connect in with that, get out of your own way and recognize that you're not going to be perfect. You would never expect a kid to hop on a skateboard the first time and be Tony Hawk. So give yourself some grace. It's a skill. It can be learned. It can be mastered and come to it with a beginner's mind. No, I love it. I'm going to, I'm like a virtual high five for that. Yeah. Man. <laughs> totally. If you're listening to the podcast, you can, you couldn't, you couldn't hear it, but it was there. I promise. Um, awesome. So where can people find out more, follow you, check you out, see what you got going on if they want to. Yeah. So you can find me at everywhere at Liz does video or you can reach out personally at lizdoesvideo.com. And for anybody who is interested in exploring YouTube, I really encourage you to join the free Facebook group called YouTube Marketing Mastery. Um, So you can go over to Facebook and search for YouTube Marketing Mastery and join us in there. Every Monday at 5 p.m. PST, I do free channel reviews. Um, So if you have your channel set up and you want a second pair of eyes to help you identify your biggest opportunities and and the things that are holding you back over there, uh, feel free to join that group. It's completely free. And then last thing I'll say is anyone who wants to make sure that they have the basics covered for SEO, that their channel settings are set up correctly, that they understand and you know, the hub help and hero. We didn't get to get into that today, but hub help and hero type content. Um, you can go to youtubegrowthhacks.com to get the free guide over there, which will help you. It has all of those keyword tools linked up in it. Um, and it will help you understand how to set up the foundation of your channel so that you can start to learn and master this keyword skill. Perfect. Definitely check her out guys. Like I said, it's someone that I follow has been teaching me a lot. So Liz, thank you so much. I truly appreciate you uh, spending time here. Um, so thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This is fun. Good. Um, so as always, everyone, please rate, subscribe, review, whatever you're listening, watching, whatever you're doing. Anytime that you drop a comment, let me know what's going on, anything like that. This just helps this content get out further to help more people. And that is the goal. Obviously, I make this stuff not necessarily for me because I already know it. I'm learning it as I go, but I make it for every one of you guys to learn and grow along with me. So I appreciate you spending the time listening, watching, whichever you're doing. Appreciate it so much. We'll see you guys on another episode real soon. Bye. This podcast is sponsored by 3 Degrees Consulting. If you need funnels, websites, paid ads management, or help with any of your digital marketing, 3 Degrees Consulting is your go-to source for everything. Check them out at www.go3dc.com. That's G-O, the number 3, D is in degrees, C is in consulting.com. Go check them out right now.